Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. All right, so I think it's always good to start sermons by breaking the ice, by doing something potentially embarrassing. And so um, on Friday night, Poi, um, the Cantonese pastor at our church, was trying to teach me how to say Happy New Year in Cantonese. So I'm going to give it a go. So I think it's Sun Nin Fa Lok. Anyone? How did I do? Okay, great. Excellent. Wasn't, wasn't terrible. We'll see, uh, we'll see uh, all the emails that the podcast gets, that, uh, whether it was accurate or not. Right, um, so I want you to take a moment and think about your friends. And now, maybe it's just me, but I feel like everyone has a kind of criteria for the group of people that they call friends. Now, me and Becky have a regular debate about what the correct criteria for this is. Now, um, Becky's criteria is that she has spoken to you more than once, and she enjoyed it, which is good news for all of you here. She considers all of you friends. Um, My criteria is a little bit stronger. Um, It's probably more down the lines of, like, if you would take a bullet for me, you might fall into my friendship category. So, um, you know, take that as you will, guys. Um, Well... In the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to find out possibly what Jesus' criteria for being his friend is. Research says that we become like the average of the five people we spend most of our time with. We are formed by our friendships. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was in our top five friends? Well, let's have a look our passage today, and it's John 15, verses 12 to 15, um, if you want to read along, otherwise I believe it will come up on the screen behind me. Jesus says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, when I first read this passage, the thing that jumped out to me most was that in this passage, and in fact, throughout the Bible, love is not described here as a feeling, but rather as an action. To love God is to obey God. To love others is to sacrificially serve them. It's not about warm feelings or butterflies in the stomach, but rather a choice to act in a certain way towards those people. So love is not a feeling. Love is an action. And if that's so, then love is also very often a choice. Now, we'll come back to those things to unpack them a bit more, but I just want to give us a little bit of a walk through the passage, because the first time I read this passage, I was a little bit confused. The first verse, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, seems reasonably obvious to me, but I didn't quite understand where the rest followed. 
until I um, had a look at a commentary, and it, there's a possibility that um, Jesus is kind of anticipating the questions from his audience. And at least it helped me if you imagine that there's a conversation going on. So if you, Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And the person listening might say, well, how have you loved me? Well, greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for one's friends. The person responds, wow, that is a really big ask. And Jesus says, well, if you are my friends, you will do what I command. And they're like, well, that doesn't really sound like friendship. That sounds an awful lot like I'm just a servant. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not a servant because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, don't know if that was helpful to you, but it helped me feel a little bit like there was more of a flow to this and it made sense than otherwise I was like, what is all this servant friend stuff got to do with loving one another? And so the first command is that, so the first thing we see is to love God is to obey God. So Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, I just want to flag up, okay? If you have a friend and they say to me, say to you, you can only be my friend if you do what I tell you to, that is not a healthy relationship. Get out. But our relationship with Jesus is truly a relationship, but it is different than any other relationship we have in this world. And the reality is this relationship we have with Jesus is, well, I guess the technical term is asymmetrical, as in it's not equal on both sides. And this actually works out quite well for us. As we see in this passage, God loves us with the greatest love. And as we just celebrated in communion, he dies for us, but he doesn't expect us to die for him but maybe he would ask us to die for another. Um, he loves us with the greatest love. And the other reason why God can, Jesus can say, if you, wanna, you need to do what I say, is because God is different than us in the sense that he knows everything. He knows what's best for us, undeniably. It's not a question as to whether God knows what's best for us or not. He does, because he made us. So he's all-knowing, and also, he's all-loving. So not only does he know what's best for us, but we know that the commands he'll give us will bring life and goodness because he is a loving God who is good, and he is loving and good towards us always. And so, unlike our human friends and relationships, Jesus can say, if you are my friend you will do what I say. And our response should be, okay, I want to do what you say. We'll come back to, we'll explore, we'll continue to explore that now. So the other question that arises from this is what kind of if is the if when it says, you are my friends if you do what I command? Because one if is Christianity, the other if is heresy. So let's, let's see which category it falls into. So there are two types of if. One is a conditional if, 
and the other is a confirmation if. So the conditional if is like, um, if you step in front of a car, you will get hurt. Um, that means that if you do this, then this condition will follow. But the other kind of if is, say, um, if your white blood cell count is below this, then you are in remission. And it's that the if is evidence of the previous condition. I'm not very good at grammar, so I apologize if that was confusing. But basically, the idea in this passage is not, if you obey, then Jesus will love you, call you his friend, and die for you. But rather, you will obey as evidence of the fact that Jesus loves you and calls you friend. If you are his friend, you will do what he asks because you're his friend, not in order to earn, <clears throat> earn his friendship. Okay, Does, I see a lot of nodding heads. Great, the second bit made more sense. Excellent. I will leave the grammar to Becky in the future. Um, <clears throat> so, we've cleared up the issue of the if. We've not fallen into heresy. We've agreed that Jesus isn't abusive in commanding us to do what he says in order to be his friend. And the other thing that he goes on to unpack is servant versus friend. So he says, I, um, I call you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. So a servant is just told what to do and expected to do it without questioning it, without knowing why, without anything. But Jesus says, we are friends. Why? So someone that I read said that this implies that God gives us all that we need to obey him gladly. That in scripture and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has provided for us everything we need in order to obey him gladly. Now, I would love it if every time I read a command in the Bible, it came with an accompanying explanation for why this was good for me, good for those around me, and revealed the character of God. However, they don't always. I would also love it is that every time the Holy Spirit prompted me to do something that maybe I didn't really want to do, it came with an accompanying explanation from God as to why he was prompting me to do this thing. But it doesn't. However, if you read the scriptures, it is consistent throughout that when God asks us to do something, it is for our good, for the good of those around us, and it reveals his character. Or as earlier in the passage, of, it reveals God's glory. So we've been given in the scriptures not just an explanation, there are theological explanations that all that God commands us are good, but also loads of examples of all of the lives lived throughout the Old Testament and the lives of the disciples in the New, that when they obey God, it is better for them, better for those around them, and, um, better, and it reveals God. Now, some of you will have some natural questions, like, wasn't John boiled in oil before being exiled to an island? <laughs> I don't quite get how the obedience led to being good for him. Um, and those are good and right questions to ask. And I want to use a slightly different example. It, there was a plague in Rome uh, during early Christianity, and everybody fled from the city except for the Christians. 
the Christians stayed and served and ministered to those who were sick and suffering and dying. Now, that was at the risk of their own lives and their own health. But they were demonstrating the love of God in an amazing and powerful way. And as a result of the sacrificial service that they showed to others, Christianity exploded post the, the Roman plague in a way that it had not before because it truly revealed who God was and what he had called us to. Okay, well, hopefully... We're all um, convinced now that we want to obey Jesus and do what he commands. So we'll revisit verse 12. It says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so, before we, uh, so this command to love others is a command to commit to community. Before we go uh, any more into unpacking some of these scriptures, I want to take a moment and look at Shasta Nelson. Um, not because she's my latest celebrity crush, uh, but because she wrote a really helpful book on friendship. Um, and apparently, according to her bio, is the world's leading expert on friendship. Um, I don't know if there's much competition in that realm, but um, there we go. Um, so she wrote a book called Frentimacy, and the, pre, the pretext of this book is that actually we all have friendship, we all have friends, or at least that's the assumption, um, we all have friends, but there's an intimacy gap for many of us in our friendships, in the fact that we express that we are, whilst we have friends, we're not happy with those, the depth of those relationships. And so she did some research on building um, intimacy in, in friendships and healthy uh, friendships, and she came up with this, which is the frentimacy triangle. Oh, <coughs> Matza is the Mats is coming back to me. Okay, and she says that healthy friendships are built. We all want healthy relationships that are satisfying, safe, and where we feel seen. She says that healthy relationships are built on positivity. So what she means by that is that your interactions are, leave you feeling positive afterwards, not that your friends only ever say nice and encouraging things about you. Um, and she says, if as you move up the triangle, as in the point would be deeper intimacy at the top, in order to move up the triangle, what you need is consistency and vulnerability. You could replace consistency with commitment. What you want is commitment and vulnerability. And she says this, healthy friendship is not based on the extent to which you like someone. It is based on the extent to which you practice these three things. Now, um, I'm the small group pastor, and you might not be surprised that I would say that small groups are perfectly designed to help you to develop these. So they are, a small group of, they are a small group that meet regularly during the week. Hopefully, those interactions are positive, um, and they are designed to be consistent spaces, weekly or bi-weekly, and they are spaces where you can share vulnerably about your life and get prayer and support. So my encouragement is, as Jesus commands, find some community, join a small group, and um, practice 
these three things that um, Shasta recommends. Now, as we are coming to a land, I just want to plow through a few quick things on community. So community or friends or relationships is not optional for a healthy life. So you would be surprised, but the level to which you rate your, yourself as lonely is the greatest indicator for um, your life expectancy. It is also a higher indicator for heart disease than obesity. So if, they do a, if you rate yourself as extremely lowly, lonely, you are much more likely to have a heart attack. It is a more accurate um, indicator than even your physical health, which, according to the research that I read that other people did. Um, so <laughs> it's not optional for your health. That's just a fact for all of us as humans. The second is community is not optional for a disciple. Christian spirituality is as much about dealing with other people as it is with God. And we see this in 1 John 4.20 where it says, if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And so being in relationship with other people isn't a choice if we love Jesus, which is unfortunate because not all of us like other people. But community is the context in which we are transformed. So as we've talked about this, uh, this series is called Abide, and this passage talks about being friends with Jesus. I think another way that we could see the word abide is see our lives as doing life with Jesus as our friend all the time. And so community, other people, is the space in which we are often transformed to become more like Jesus. And that is because healthy community both reveals and heals. So the first thing, reveal. I don't know about you, but often when I interact with other people, they maybe wind me up. You know, yeah, particularly before coffee. But um, sometimes people are annoying. But one of the things I've learned is that it's an important question to ask, why is that person winding me up? Because it's very easy for us to go, it's them. They're annoying. Rather than to look into ourselves and ask, is it provoking something in me? Is it actually that I have something going on inside me that they're triggering. And um, the, I've forgotten his name now, uh, Andrew will know it, Help, emotionally healthy spirituality guy, Pete Schizero. Pete Schizero says that what these moments do is they reveal our shadow side. And our shadow side is the damaged and mostly hidden version of ourselves. And what those sides are is they're often hidden to us, but they're often not hidden to the people who spend their time with us. And that these moments, what they do is they bring something to the surface that without relationships with people who don't always make us feel good and positive, we would never see. And so these moments of revealing are moments where we're invited by God into change and transformation. And so I just, this is a bit of a side point, but our culture says that love 
is all about always affirming everything about each other. Affirm and accept everything. Don't question, don't criticize, that's toxic. But I want to say this, in reality, healthy, healthy community does challenge. Okay, I need people to tell me that my hair looks ridiculous and I'm beginning to look homeless. Like, that's a healthy community, okay? I don't want you to affirm everything about me. I need your feedback. <clears throat> but we all do. We need it to grow. We need it to change. We need it to become more like Jesus. And secondly, healthy community not only reveals, but healthy community heals. It's actually in the midst of community that we walk out our healing. It is in relationship with other people that we live out the healing that God has achieved in our lives. Because it's in those spaces where we often are stepping into the gifts, the fruits of the Spirit, of generosity, of kindness, of love, joy, peace, patience. It's very easy to be patient when you live on the top of a hill all on your own, with nothing but your own plans and other things. It's harder to be patient when you live in a city. So healthy community reveals, healthy community heals. And the Bible also says that we confess our sins to one another so that we are healed. We confess our sins to God so that we're forgiven, and we confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. Because it's in that community where the love and acceptance and grace of God can be expressed that we know the healing of God. So, God commands us to be in community, even though that isn't always easy. He invites us into sacrificial service, and that's where the rubber really hits the road. To love others is to sacrificially serve others. And this is another moment where Scripture rubs up against our cultural narrative. Because our cultural narrative is all about self-actualization, even if I can't say it, um, and total, or I saw an advert for total human optimization, which sounds very exciting. Um, but ultimately, what that is about is about becoming more obsessed with yourself and what you would like to achieve so that you can use everyone else so that, so that you can achieve your goals, which to me doesn't sound particularly kind. And I don't think it's what we're invited into, to love others, to sacrificially serve others. In fact, Jesus' invitation is for us to die to ourselves. The shocking invitation is that we are told that if we want to live life to the full, as the invitation is, then we actually are invited to die to ourselves, not to become more obsessed with ourselves. And in fact, that is a message of hope and freedom. Because actually when we... What we're doing is we're turning in on ourselves and looking to ourselves as our own saviour. Me and Becky were chatting about this recently. We joked we should make a t-shirt that says, be the change you want to see in yourself. Like, it doesn't really work. We, act, we need a saviour from outside. 
in order for us to be freed, in order for us to change, in order for us to become all that we were made to be as human beings, as God made us to be, not as personal actualization, but rather as human flourishing, we need help from God, from Jesus. And that is the invitation. Is that as we abide as his friend, as those who hear, who love and obey, and those who serve one another, then we step in to costly freedom. I want to stop there and pray. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.